Good morning. Welcome to Pleasant View Baptist Church, and this is our Palm Sunday service online once again. We're glad you've tuned in, and uh, we hope that you'll enjoy this message as we get ready to finish up our Peacemaker series. But for a moment, I want to pause and just take a moment to worship the Lord through giving. It's a little different because we're not in the building. We're not there where the ushers can pass the plates. And so we're going to encourage you with a slide to give you some information on how you can give. Give to our, through our app, through Tithely, or you can go to the website and give through Tithely. Look for the giving tab there. Or you can also mail checks to the church at 6400 Crow Creek Road in Bettendorf. And uh, we just appreciate you giving, especially in this time of pandemic crisis when we can't be together. Uh, we're really truly living by faith each day here at the church as we wait upon the Lord to provide the finances we need. Let's go Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us uh, finances to be able to give back to you. Lord, there are truly offerings to you that you allow the church to use to further your kingdom. And we just pray that you'll continue to help our people to be generous and faithful givers. We thank you so much for all that they do, for when we have needs, people step up to the plate and help. And Lord, we thank you for this Sunday, the triumphal entry of Christ, and all that this week holds in front of us as we meditate and think about each day and what it means that Jesus' life as he came down to Good Friday and the cross, and then we celebrate the resurrection of Christ next week. Fill us with faith and hope in these times, be with our leaders from the federal government all the way down to local government as they deal with this pandemic. And heal people, Lord, and bring revival to our country as many are searching for why these difficulties are occurring. And so we just pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to finish our series. The last sermon is called Our Approach to Granting Forgiveness. We've had seven different messages on uh, not being a peacekeeper, but being a peacemaker. And I hope that you keep these ideas in your heart and you apply them as you go forward. Our scripture reading today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. And I encourage you to take a Bible or take your phone or whatever you have and follow along as we read from Paul's letter to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through each and every one of us, that we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those are great promises from God's word, and the way the Apostle Paul penned them were so beautiful. Well, to summarize what we've been studying we need to be reminded of the four G's. And these four G's are important because we uh, can go to these at any time. We've repeated them week after week. And hopefully you've 
kind of got the, the gist of them as you we preached through and we talked about these things. The four G's we need to remember is to glorify God, to get the log out of your own eye, to gently restore, to go and be reconciled. Remember, we're going to face conflict with other people. It's inevitable. Uh, we live in this world and we're sinners and we live around people that are sinners. Everyone is a sinner. And because of our selfishness, because of our pride, because we're going to want things for ourselves to the exclusion of what other people want, sometimes we're going to run into conflict with one another. But conflict can be viewed as something positive, can be viewed as something good. Instead of looking as something to be avoided or ignored, we can look at conflict as an opportunity. It can lead to stronger relationships and trust in that relationship. It can improve an employer-employee relationship when in a conflict they begin to speak and communicate and understand one another more. It can, and it does, strengthen marriage. It's also a teaching moment for the gospel. Because when we reconcile with someone, we're fulfilling uh, the example here in these passages we read. That as Christ forgave us and reconciled us to God, when we reconcile with other people, we're displaying the gospel. When we forgive and we are involved in reconciliation. Remember what we said about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but it's a decision that we have to make. It's an obedient act. And as time goes on, the feelings will follow if we'll continue to forgive that person. Even when the memory comes back up and we've already reconciled, we can continue to grant that person forgiveness in our heart because of the Holy Spirit. The consequences of whatever happened in that relationship may still linger, but our attitude can change over time if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives. So I want to finish with a couple difficult questions to consider. I can only give you general principles because each of these questions have their own unique nuances based on the variables in the relationship. But here's the first one that we can think about. When is it okay to sue someone? We really haven't talked much about this in this study. When is it okay to sue somebody? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 gives us some great principles for us to consider when we're faced with the possibility of litigation and defending our rights. It says in verse 1 of chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. 
some things to consider when we're faced with the possibility of going to court and suing someone who's a brother or sister in Christ or even a non-believer. First of all, we need to exhaust every remedy available to us through the church. We need to go to leadership. We need to seek godly counsel. We need to begin the process of Matthew 18 if we haven't already done that. And we need to exhaust every avenue that we can to bring this person to a place where they'll grant forgiveness or come to repentance or whatever the issue is. Second of all, we need to make sure the rights you're seeking are biblically legitimate. Make sure the rights you're seeking are biblically legitimate. If you're going to go to court, you need to keep in mind what we said before. Litigation will demand a lot of spiritual and emotional and physical and financial burden and demand upon your life. How the verdict will turn out is a risk. It's kind of a roll of the dice. And how will you ultimately look at the relationship after the verdict has been done? Maybe you'll look at it positively, maybe they won't, or vice versa. These verses say it would be better to give in and take the hit on behalf of love and reconciliation. Something to consider in all this. So thirdly, under this point, when do we know, should we sue or not? Who has the jurisdiction? I think this is very interesting. Think about the jurisdiction. The church has a jurisdiction over sinful behavior and also um, sinful attitudes. Things that the Bible speaks to and were violated. But the government has jurisdiction over criminal acts. And we have to discern where's the best place to deal with an attempt to bring about reconciliation. Where's the best chance that it will end well? In the government, in a court of law, or with our brother and sister in Christ with the elders in our church? The passage of 1 Corinthians 6 says that if the offense is either sinful behavior or a sinful attitude or and or a criminal activity, the person should go to the church first to begin the process. If it's a serious crime, you may have to go involve both jurisdictions, the church and the government, because the government is supposed to be there to protect uh, people under the law and to provide security and help for them. An example might be someone who's being abused or someone who's been arrested for shoplifting. If someone is in danger or has committed a crime of hurt, then the government jurisdiction is the first place to go and then involve the church to try to minister to both parties. Well, what if you're sued by someone else? What if you're in the situation where someone wants to take you to court and they've got a lawsuit against you? Well, you begin with the church leadership and go to them for wisdom and try to help them to negotiate with this person so that you don't have to go to court. Practice Matthew 18, using humility and love with the desire to reconcile and make things right. But if it does go to court and the person discerns in the heart that the person is suing him unfairly, hire a lawyer and defend yourself. Here's another question that we need to think about in this area of granting forgiveness. What if someone has been abused? What do you do? How does this abused person even approach 
the person that's abused them and seek forgiveness. Or if the person who abused them is asking for forgiveness. There's a lot of emotional baggage there that has to be dealt with. But this falls under the jurisdiction of the government and the church simultaneously, with the government taking the lead due to the danger of the situation. Counseling must occur in ministry to both parties. Accountability with church leadership and a process of repentance has to be sought after. After the issue has been resolved with the governing authorities, an attempt should be made to seek forgiveness and reconcil reconciliation by both parties, if at all possible. This doesn't mean putting yourself in harm's way, or you're going to put somebody else in harm's way, or the trust is going to be restored very quickly. It may never be rebuilt. But forgiveness can be attained and given, and a heart of reconciliation can be secured. Here's a third question to think about. Is it okay to take up an offense you haven't been asked to be involved with? In other words, does a third party need to step in between and add to um, the situation where two people have offended one another? I don't see in Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 20 or Galatians 6, 1 through 2, the first stage, someone taking up another person's offense on their behalf to bring about reconciliation. This creates a difficult dynamic to introduce a third par person in there. A lot of times that person has a vested interest in one party or the other. It's hard for them to be neutral in that case. And now you're dealing with the opinion and thoughts of a third person about this offense, this issue. This is different than when both parties decide together to have a negotiator. And they agree upon that negotiator. And he is a neutral party. And they both kind of agree to work with this person to try to bring about reconciliation. That's the only exception to this. But with that lone exception, the two people or the small group involved should attempt to work it out following the first step in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, where one goes to the other and then follow the pattern laid out by Jesus in the subsequent verses in that chapter. And then the fourth question, what are the things I can do if someone simply will not forgive me? There's going to be people in your life that um, you're going to try to reconcile with, and for whatever reason, it's just not going to happen. And we've talked about this in, in previous messages. But here's some principles that we can glean from Romans chapter 12. And I encourage you to take your Bible and turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 14 is where we're going to begin. The first thing we can see is that we need to control our tongue. We need to control our tongue. In Romans 12, 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. James 3 talks about the danger of the tongue. How it's kind of like an unbridled horse if we don't have self-control. And so we need to be careful not to let anger or emotions overtake us. Another thing we can see is not only to control our tongue, but we need to seek godly advice. Look at verses 15 and 16 of Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Think about the godly counsel that people give you. Think about what God's Word says, how we're to treat other people. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Knowing that we need to forgive others as God has forgiven us. Having an attitude of humility. And then keep doing what is right. <coughs> Excuse me. Keep doing what is right. In Romans 12, 17 it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So we know and we do what the scriptures say. We live by the word of God, not by our feelings. Not what we want to do. When that anger and that vengeance creeps up into our emotions, we still need to stifle that, put it under control, and be obedient, and not to repay evil for evil, but show them what it is to be a godly example even in that difficult situation. And then recognize your boundaries. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, in verse 18, live peaceably with all. We have to do all we can, but then at some point we have to separate ourselves from the situation and let God work on that person's heart and life. At some point we have to say, Lord, we've done our best and we leave it in your hands. And not to have that false guilt put upon us because someone won't uh, accept our forgiveness or grant forgiveness when we ask for it. And then the last thing we see is that we need to use the ultimate weapon, and that's to love. To love on people. Jesus said it's easy to love your neighbor, but we also need to love our enemies. It says here in verse 19 of Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, God said I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he gives us this admonition at the end of the chapter. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Through all the black and white and gray issues of dealing with offenses, we need to take the attitude of Christ. That we're ambassadors of his, attempting to reconcile the world to himself. We live out the gospel in this way by doing our best to build up bridges of forgiveness with someone out of Christ-like love. So our application is this. The best way to win the hardest heart over is the persistent demonstration of love. We have to be persistent, relentless, not giving up. So as we close out this series, one last very important thing I want you to remember. I want to leave you with, and that is developing a culture of peacemaking in our church, in our world. The first thing we see about that is we need to have a vision. The church has a vision, the leadership has a vision, and each one of us need to have a vision as followers of Christ to do our part about carrying out the ministry of reconciliation. We need to be intentional. We need to be on mission with this. Remember, we're not to be peacekeepers, we're to be peacemakers. And model what the New Testament says about granting and seeking forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation. The elders spend time in their training along with the deacons in preparation for dealing with conflict and issues and 
bringing about restoration. We have a vision on our elder board to develop a emotionally mature Christians here at Pleasant View Baptist Church. And that's why we've emphasized this topic on various occasions, because this is a place where Satan roots himself into people. That's why a few years ago in a connect group we did the bait of Satan. And we spent probably 12 weeks in that study talking about how to deal with offenses personally in our lives and how to deal with others. That's why from time to time we have sermons on this topic to remind ourselves about uh, being unified in our relationships, living in harmony with one another. So training is offered and counseling others is available in helping people become peacemakers. And then there's assistance. Assistance is available to anyone in our church who needs someone in leadership, deaconesses and deacons or elders, to help them with a situation to bring restoration and reconciliation with other people. We've done this on numerous occasions, and many times it works out in a great way and uh, strengthens relationships, and we all grow from that experience. Perseverance is so important in this matter. Marriages and going to court sometimes are at stake with these disputes. People leaving the church because they don't know how to resolve conflict. These things can be avoided, and the church is committed with our leadership and shepherding to offer solutions when the disputes or offenses are just beginning. That's the time to reconcile when things are small, not letting things build. Not after people build up walls of defense, got pride and, and anger built up in their lives. And then we need to be accountable. Everyone on the planet needs accountability. That's why we've seen the growth of the coaching movement, whether it be life coaches or physical training coaches or coaches in many different ways of our lives. But we need accountability because we need people in our lives to speak truth to us so we can be successful, so people can see the blind spots enough and warn us. Otherwise, we just go on with life thinking the way we look at things is the only way, and it's the right way. And we deceive ourselves. Proverbs 14.12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Left to ourselves, we're going to come to the place where we think we're always right. In Proverbs 27, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And I love that verse because a true friend is going to be truthful to you about the good things and about the bad things. And then witness. It's another thing is so important to have a culture of peacemaking in your church or in your life or in your sphere of influence is that we can witness by being able to go into the sphere of influence and share these principles and help bring people to reconciliation. And when people see you practicing these things, it's going to make them curious about the faith that lives within you. And you can share Christ with them. So our application is this. We all need to be part of God's solution to the broken relationships in our world and not add to the problem. We need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. We all need to be a part of God's solution to help break broken relationships in this world and not add to the problem, to bring about reconciliation. Our key thought here is never give up the hope of reconciliation on any relationship because God never gives up reconciling us to himself.
God is continually forgiving us. Jesus said if we, or First John 1, 9, the Apostle John said, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from our sin. And we need to do that daily, sometimes hourly. And we know that God's going to forgive us. So we never give up the hope of reconciliation on any relationship because God never gives up reconciling us to him. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about this in the early stages of this series. Here's a promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. So I leave you with these things at the bottom of your outline to ponder the four G's this week. Glorify God. Get the log out of your own eye. Gently restore and go and be reconciled. And make sure that you keep these things in your heart and apply them as you go forth. Well, and during this series of time where we've preached since kind of the middle of January, I've had two opportunities to have uh, someone come and talk to me and reconcile a relationship. And both of them were ongoing relationships. Uh, recently, on March 15th, I was visiting my daughter's church and uh, there was a gentleman there that was on the deacon board when um, I got fired and uh, he was part of the process to get me fired in a business meeting and it had been 12 and a half years and I've talked to him very superficially over the years but you know there's always been a strained relationship and on March 15th just a couple weeks ago this gentleman came to me when I was visiting my daughter's church and he uh, said that he was wrong for what he did. He apologized. He was going through a very difficult time with his wife. And he took that out on me. And so he asked me if I would forgive him. And I granted forgiveness. And that was a big step when you think about um, the pain that our family went through because of the actions of that church. And he was part of that. So I leave that with you to say that even after 12 and a half years, even after more years than that, people can still reconcile. God can work in their heart and life. And may we never give up this idea of reconciling with one another. Because Jesus said that we're to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the serious peacemakers. And Lord, there's just been so many different aspects that we have learned uh, new new ideas. Some of them have been ideas of principles that we need to be reminded of. And we pray that you help us to go out and be your ambassadors to do the ministry of reconciliation with people. And uh, Lord, to look for those opportunities to try to help one another, even in our spheres of influence, to understand the love of Christ and how it can be displayed through us as we attempt to bring reconciliation to all of our relationships so we can live at peace as best as we can with one another. And so we just pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now we're going to move into a time of communion, and I hope that you download the instructions that Carrie Barfall sent to you on Thursday and uh, to give you information on preparation for sharing communion uh, together. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about how the Apostle Paul
um, in his writings there talking to the church at Corinth, he encourages them to gather together around the Lord's table, but to come with their hearts prepared. And that means that we have to come and, and to a place where we're first of all sure that we're with peace with God, that we're rightly related to Him, that we have a relationship with Him, that we're born again, that we've asked Christ to come in and forgive us of our sin and take control of our lives. That's the prerequisite to communion. But then second of all, if we've already made that decision, we have to take a few moments to look into our hearts and lives and ask God to show us any sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that uh, we have to examine our hearts and make sure that we've confessed our sin and we're rightly related to others that fits with this message so that we come before him with clean hands and clean hearts. And so we're going to take a moment of silent prayer and I encourage you, I hope you have your elements ready. I hope you have your grape juice and your cracker. And in a moment we're going to pray. We're going to give you a, a period of silence to ask God to make sure that you're prepared to take communion. And then I'll pray for the elements and we'll share them together. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you now, we pray that you will help us as we take these elements to be mindful, especially at this Easter season, the fact that the bread or the cracker represents your body that was broken on our behalf, that you were tortured, you were beaten, you were nailed to the cross so that uh, you would give your life and say it is finished that we would have the hope of eternal life. So Lord, I pray for this bread that you would help us to be mindful of what uh, you mean to each and every one of us as we gather around this table, as we seek to do this in remembrance of you. We pray that you'll help us to do that. And we pray for the cup as well that we'll partake of here in just a moment. Help us, Lord, to realize that this precious blood was spilled out so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, we just thank you that you were willing to go all the way and uh, give everything you had so that we could have the gift of eternal life. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus said on that night that he took bread, that he broke it and gave thanks and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I hope you will take your cup of grape juice, if you would, and we're mindful of what it says in Matthew's Gospel that on that night of the Last Supper that Jesus took the cup and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Let's drink the cup together. Let's close our communion time in prayer before Austin and his team leads us in worship again. Father, we're thankful for going all the way to the cross and then being buried and then ultimately rising again to give us 
the power over sin, over Satan, over death. And Lord, also to give us the power in this life to overcome the sinful nature because you give us the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power in our lives. And so we're grateful for your sacrifice. And now, Lord, as we continue to celebrate through music, may we just enjoy um, the fellowship that we have together today. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.